Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. When people ask me what my show is about, I'm afraid I don't have a very crisp answer. My taglines are money, culture, politics, pretty much the waterfront. But another one, and it really applies to today's show, is interesting people, interesting things. Last week, I did a show with Mark Tapscott about journalistic ethics. First time I've met him, and it struck me. What an interesting man who's done so many interesting things. A successful career on Capitol Hill and with the Reagan administration, my favorite, a race car driver, an investigative journalist, and member of the Freedom on Information Act Hall of Fame, recipient of the CPAC Conservative Journalist of the Year Award, and now founder and editor of Hill Faith, an apologetics ministry taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to Capitol Hill congressional staff. Mark, delighted. My pleasure. <laughs> Talking My pleasure to, to you be here. just a week later. So let's, let's start with what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with the, the, the Faith Hill, mm -hmm. and it's, a, it's an apologetics ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, let, let's start with that. What, what, what's that about? If you uh, were asked what's the most influential group but least well-known group in Washington, D.C., um, if you really understand how things work in this town, you would say immediately congressional staff. There are about 20,000 of them. They're mostly young men and women, uh, highly educated, very motivated, um, and uh, very smart. And <laughs> for that reason... Very smart? Very smart okay. uh, from an academic perspective. Yeah, I was um, um, and therefore, um, because they are in the positions that they're in, they have tremendous influence, um, and nobody ever sees them because they obviously they're paid to make their bosses look good. Uh, but their bosses couldn't do their work without it. Uh, so they're a, an extremely important group uh, in our uh, political system. And coming from the kind of roots that they come from, um, the influence of, of the Christian principles and, and morality that uh, provide the, the foundation for the American regime, uh, in my view, uh, um, they're, if not actively hostile to it, which many of them are, uh, then quite apathetic about it, um, which is unfortunate because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the life-changing truth that every man and woman needs and yearns to hear. And the Lord called me one day a couple of years ago, uh, Mark, I put you here for a reason take the gospel to the hill. And that's what we're doing. How long have you been doing this? About two years. About two years? Yeah. But I have to, I have to say, he dragged me kicking and screaming from, <laughs> from well, my you, journalism you, you career. Had, you had some pretty good gigs. I mean, you were editor of the Washington Examiner editorial yeah. page. Yeah. What was that, seven years, eight years? Six years. Six yeah. years? Yeah. And then you, you headed up the investigative reporting. Started uh, it, recruited it managed it, and we broke all kinds of great stories. Uh, being an investigative reporter 
Uh, if you're going to be in journalism, be an investigative reporter. That's what journalism is all about. When did you <clears> win <throat> the When did you win the award for investigative journalism for, or the Hall of Fame piece? Was it the body of work, or were there a couple things that uh, actually it was it out? was it was a body of work, and I I was voted in uh, in 2006. They do a class every five years, uh, and I was voted as part of the 2006 class. I'm pretty certain that I was the first conservative journalist, and I think to this day still the only one uh, in the Hall of Fame. But I learned very early on when I came to Washington, D.C., that transparency and accountability are, they are the lifeblood of Republican liberty. Because, you know, if we don't know what our um, uh, folks are doing in Washington, D.C., we can't hold them accountable. Uh, and of course, Frequently, the last thing they want to do is to be held accountable. Um, so it's extremely important. And I, I resolved very early on to um, transparency and accountability are not a partisan issue. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of folks on the Republican side didn't appreciate it. Uh, a lot of them viewed it, frankly, as, a, as an obstacle. Uh, and I set out to persuade them otherwise and was pretty successful at it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Fortunately, was recognized for that for that success. So I want to get into the, your your journalism career, but I still want to circle back to uh, the apologetics, the apologetics, still faith, and you know, twenty thousand staffers. That's that's a big number. It works out Absolutely. to what forty, fifty staffers per congressman, per senator, and then you get staffers for the for the committees. For the committees, right? and uh, also for the congressional agencies like the Congressional Budget Office, the Government Accountability Office, okay. and so forth. And the legislative branch could not function without. Well, I think you and I talked about this. People get a kick. People say, you know, we need term limits. You know, we should only be, they should be there eight years, 12 years, and then they've got to go, uh, go home because they develop, you know, evil ways in Washington. And, you know, there's some truth to that. Absolutely. Uh, but the real term limits, if you wanted to do so, that sort of thing, would be with Hill staffers because they really, they really run everything. You know, the, one of the interesting things about this, um, 200 years ago, the average tenure for a member of Congress was about two terms. They didn't stick around. They didn't want to make careers out of public service. They wanted to be back home doing the things that they do. Um, and it was only after the Civil War that 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 public service really began to become a career option for people. And, of course, with the New Deal, government got so big that it really became a career option at that point. And here we are today with too much government uh, and too many people in careers uh, in public service. What are the politics of the 20,000 staffers? Is it, is it, you know, do they, do they skew the same way that the, Republicans and, and Democrats uh, skew in terms of left versus right or right versus left, or is it something else? It's, it's, it closely follows. Um, there's not, frankly, a lot of survey data on this, yeah. uh, which reflects the uh, invisibility, if you will, of the staff. Um, but they tend to, you know, Republicans tend to hire Republicans. Democrats tend to hire um, Democrats. But because they're mostly younger, um, there's much more in the way of an ideological commitment to things. Um, um, 
less political wisdom, if you will. Uh, and frankly, working on the Hill is a great place to acquire those things because you learn how the system works. How many are practicing Christians? I would be amazed if it's more than 20%. Um, and that's, that's a gut estimate on my part, but I've been either working on the Hill or covering the Hill as a journalist for 40 years. And I really would be surprised if it was more than 20%. So your, your, your target for your ministry are these 20,000 high IQ, well-educated kids, a lot of them gone to Ivy League schools. Or Highly motivated. Equivalent, and they're not really learning much about Christianity there. Well, what they do learn frequently is, is inaccurate and hostile, yeah, which I mean, makes for a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but your, your ministry is an apologetics ministry, which I learned a lot about researching this. Tell, tell, me, tell us all about what, yeah. what, how, you, how you would interpret apologetics. Well, apologetics literally is the English translation of the Greek apologia. Um, you'll recall that at one point in one of his mission trips, Paul uh, spoke on Mars Hill in Athens, mm -hmm. and um, he was making an apology a defense of the truth of the gospel, uh, that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified dead, buried, and on the third day after he was buried, he was resurrected. And he is now at the uh, right hand of God the Father, and he is coming back to earth one of these days. He is the Lord and Savior. Um, an apologetic is a defense for the truth of that uh, based on philosophical evidence, based on archaeological evidence, based on logic, based on science, um, based on wherever the truth can be accessed. All truth is God's truth, and that's what the apologetics um, fundamentally is about, is bringing truth uh, to as many people as possible in the way that they will understand it. Well, do you find that this approach works uh, with your I, you know, I'm an MBA type, but with your target market. <laughs> you. I, you know, I have had so many amazing conversations with, with people on the Hill. Yeah. Um, precisely because they are so many of them are so, so intelligent, but so imbued with the secular yeah. um, orthodoxy that, that we're all familiar with. Um, they have these odd notions about, Jesus, you know? Um, well, he was, yeah, he was a great moral teacher, but he's not God. Well, how do you explain the empty tomb? That's the threshold question, because if the tomb is empty because Jesus was resurrected, that means everything that he said is true. And one of the things that he said was, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. But if his body was stolen by the disciples, for example, because they were intent on uh, making it appear that he had been resurrected, that's, that's a different thing. It's like C.S. Lewis said. Um, a man who says things like that is either a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg <laughs> or he's exactly what he claimed to be, which is the Lord. So the so the, the secular case or the um, 
the apologetics for the resurrection. There, there's some elements of that which we talked about before. If you were me, let's say I'm, I'm one of your congressional staffers mm -hmm. and I'm going to say, oh, come on. I mean, you know, he was a great teacher. We all know that great moral philosophy, but, um, you know, it, it didn't, there's not a resurrection. They, they, they moved that rock aside and uh, they, all, they all agreed, okay, well, let's, we've, uh, we've hidden the body and therefore uh, uh, we can now claim that he's risen. Yeah. yeah, and that is, in fact, exactly one of the uh, common objections that critics and skeptics have made uh, over the uh, decades. The response to that is, for example, if you recall, the disciples were all a bunch of cowards. They all hid. <laughs> They were, and, and with good reason, they feared that they were going to be next, you know, uh, because they had been followers and they were associated with him. Um, number one, that, that gives you an indication of the character of the people who um, you have to figure out a way, well, how did this group of terrified cowards suddenly find the courage and the wisdom to overcome a a very seasoned Roman guard that was assigned to guard the tomb. Um, the odds of that happening are about slim and not even close to none. They couldn't have done it. So it's an unreasonable, it's not a, it's not a logical conclusion to go from, well, he wasn't really resurrected. They stole his body. It's just not, it, it does not fit with the available evidence. Um, J. Warner Wallace, who is uh, known to uh, many people from his days on uh, NBC Dateline, he was the cold case detective, mm -hmm. specialized in, in solving 30-year-old murder cases. Uh, one of the reasons why he was so good at that uh, is he just has a phenomenal ability to assess the evidence in a crime scene. Uh, and he's written a book called God's crime scene where he addresses all of the evidence that's available to us, and there is an incredible amount of evidence, um, and, and gives his professional assessment as a detective, and his conclusion is the most reasonable conclusion based on the evidence is that he was resurrected. Um, and for me, a guy who solves 30-year-old murders, mm -hmm because he knows how to interpret evidence, that's persuasive. It's not decisive, but it's persuasive. And an and apologetics ministry is to bring to people who work on the Hill who are skeptical in the yeah. ways that we've outlined. For example, J. Warner Wallace uh, to speak and say, well, you know, listen, I've, I've been looking at evidence for a long time, um, and here's what I think. Yeah. Uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Mark Tapscott, and we're talking about his ministry, Faith Hill, and uh, Christian apologetics, and uh, talking about the, uh, the case, the secular case, uh, that, that proves the resurrection uh, was real. Uh, Mark, you also mentioned when we talked about this that uh, the fact that the, the witnesses to this were all women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first witnesses. Uh, that, right? was, that, that was something that wouldn't be persuasive back in those days. It, not only would it not be persuasive, it would have very much um, counted against 
the uh, claim that Christ had been resurrected because women legally were not allowed to be witnesses in a legal situation. They weren't considered credible, um, mm-hmm. which to us seems... Was that Jewish law or Roman Jewish law? law? Jewish, Jewish law. Jewish law, right. Okay. Um, it wasn't much better under Roman law. Uh, a woman who was a Roman citizen had more rights. Um, but even then, it was there was very clearly a subordination mm-hmm. that, um, that put them in a, a second class, if you will. Um, but the fact that the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, the first people to arrive at the tomb on Sunday morning were women, and they're the ones who first said, we saw him, he's alive, he's been resurrected. If you were trying to write a persuasive tale, the last thing you would do is make your very first witnesses, people that everybody who read it back then would say, well, wait a minute, this is women. Why should we believe them? You know. But the fact is, they were the first witnesses, and the Gospels are truthful accounts of what happened. Um, you, 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 you come across facts and logic like this yeah. and you think about it and all of a sudden it dawns on you, I've really got to take this seriously. This is important. Well, it's, uh, that's what Hill Faith is, is all about. That's great. I, uh, so how big is your organization now? You're looking at it. <laughs> Um, I'm the. I'm impressed. I'm. I'm. Well, <laughs> I'm. I'm the editor. We have a board of directors. Yeah. Um, uh, Cleta Mitchell, who I suspect you probably are familiar Cleta's with. terrific. Yeah. Uh, she's on our board. She's our. Uh, she's our lawyer. Yeah. Um, handled our tax exemption. Um, um, my sister, who is vice president with the McNair Group in Houston, uh, I suspect you probably knew Bob McNair. Yeah. Um, she worked for Bob for a number of years. Uh, Jan Duncan, who is a philanthropist from Houston, uh, very, very generous. Uh, and then uh, our president is Tom McKee, who is a very successful commercial real estate developer here in the area. Hmm. Also goes to, to the church that I attend. Uh, and then Mark Massey, who is our senior pastor, and Mark Klimovitz, who is my closest friend in this world, and an associate pastor. They, they share this vision that the Lord has given me of taking the truth, the gospel, through Hill Faith to Congress, to the staff. Um, Tony, uh, uh, Tony Perkins, mm-hmm. I, was pres- I, was, I was vice president of the Council for National Policy, and my, my journey is a little different. I was, I was born, uh, raised a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and what did you tell me that meant? Well, you were born with a uh, blue blazer. I was, yeah, I did have <laughs> blue blazer. <laughs> I went, I went through a Presbyterian phase in, okay. in yeah, my you're, development. You're Scottish as well, so right? You have that. Right. All Scots are Presbyterian at one point or another. Thing. <laughs> but you know, I ended up sort of drifting towards being a libertarian, mm-hmm. and then when I got involved with the uh, Council for National Policy, Tony Perkins, who's a wonderful man of faith and a great leader, he is, kind of took me under his <clears> wing, <throat> and we talked and did some things, and I. But I really came to it partly through uh, Christianity works. I mean, it, it, if you just want to say, if you want to say what works, what's moral, what makes people happy, what makes people flourish, all roads lead to Christianity. Mm-hmm. 
And I think on Capitol Hill, when you're dealing with these, with, with some of the kids who would be non-believers, it seems like your secular approach would be, could be fruitful because mm -hmm. you can make the arguments. We'll say, well, look at how people live in this culture and people live in this other culture and, uh, and make the case. Is that, is that pretty much what and, you're doing? And, 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 a, and a perfect illustration of that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the slavery, the anti-slavery movement uh, in Western civilization is intrinsically a product of Christian culture. Right. Um, there, would, there would have been no anti-slavery movement in England or this country uh, had there not been Christianity. Wil Wilberforce, the man who um, was responsible for the English law outlaw out outlawing sl the slave trade, yeah. was a passionate, passionate Christian, and that's why he was in Parliament, uh, because the Lord called him to that mission. Uh, here in America, the anti, uh, the abolitionists were predominantly believers. Uh, who derived their understanding of individual freedom and the dignity of every man and woman from Christianity. God created us all. That makes all the difference in the world. Some final words about Hill faith. I mean, mm -hmm. I, let's, 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 let's come back to where we started. Let's, sure. Uh, what's the, uh, what do we, how should we, how should, how can we help? What, uh, what would what, be next for Hill? Well, having me on this show has been okay. a tremendous uh, blessing to me, and I thank you for having me on here. Um, Hill Faith is it's very personal, intensive. Um, you know, I, I, I seek opportunities to strike up conversations informally with people on the Hill. I'm on the Hill all the time anyway because I'm still a journalist. I still cover the Hill for the Epoch Times. Um, it's my tent-making job. St. Paul made tents to support his mission, mission work. I, I cover Congress. <laughs> um, so, so I frequently have these opportunities to engage in these conversations. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to be bringing uh, speakers to, uh, to the Hill uh, like Jay Warner Wallace, uh, Frank Turek is another. Um, there's just a, a, a tremendous number of these really articulate, intelligent uh, apologists who I believe will, will, will command attention from a lot of people. We're going to bring them to the Hill uh, beginning in 2021. Um, well, as, as, an old, as an old private equity investor, which is kind of my core competence. I always look for businesses that had a very sharply defined focus on a target sure. market and did something better than anybody else, even though it was small. And it seems to me like that's what you've carved out with Hill Faith, is you've got just, you've got a target market, 20,000 young people. You've got the message that you think, and I believe, that will, will, will resonate. I do too. Yeah. And you could do a lot of good. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting how the Lord works. Um, there are all kinds of ministries on the Hill focused on taking the gospel to members of Congress, to senators, representatives. Yeah. Um, and that's great. You know, they, Lord knows they need it. Um, there are no ministries that I'm aware of, and I've, I've been looking for several years, 
that focus on the apologetic presentation of the gospel, especially exclusively to staff, but especially to those who are not believers. Um, we talked about probably 20, 25% who are. There are ministries, uh, faith and law is one, for example, which uh, is very, very good, but their focus is on um, helping aides who are already Christians understand and develop their faith in the context of their, their job. Um, that's, that's a separate ministry from what we're doing. Uh, we want to take the gospel, especially to those who are not believers, and help prepare those who are to be apologists, to make the with, defense. With the arguments that will persuade exactly. as opposed to just believe. Exactly. Yeah, I think, it's a, I, th I think it's a very, very powerful strategy. I mean, uh, it's congratulations. Well, it's not original with me. It came from the Lord, and um, he is. Well, but you had to be receptive. You had to be ready for it, and you clearly are, and you're the right guy. I mean, with, your, with your background and talent, I think this is gonna be very successful. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, We'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.